0: I've told you before a bit of my story. I grew up in a Christian family. I came to know Jesus as my Savior and Lord when I was 12 years old. And if I were to characterize my testimony, I would say it's one of preservation more than one of deliverance. Um, Some of you were not, uh, you didn't grow up in the church, or maybe even if you did, um, to follow Jesus was not something on the front of your Priorities, And maybe you spent your life pursuing bunches of other things Or maybe just a few things Really, really hard But somewhere along the way Somebody shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you And the Holy Spirit began to work in your life And you became a Christian And no longer were you passionately pursuing those other things You began to pursue Jesus He delivered you from A life of sin and regret and whatever it might be. Mine not so much. Generally, my heart was to follow Jesus. Yet, as I look at my heart even today, after 30, almost 35 years of knowing Jesus as my Savior, as I look at my own heart, the pride that is still there, the greed that lurks, the lust That is there, I am so thankful for how God has kept me for these 30 some years. And I suspect that if you know Jesus, you are too. Somewhere along the way, by the grace of God, you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to be adopted into His family, to be given the promises of eternal life. But even still, an honest look at your heart, you know that things still lurk. And if you were left to yourself by God, you could still make a major mess out of your life. Sadly, we see it all the time. Christians who fall with devastating effects in their lives. Today, we're going to look... Briefly, an incredible story of God's preserving providence. Another called it his preventing providence. We'll wonder and marvel at our great God who will keep back David from great sin. And yet we will encourage ourselves not to presume upon him. So we've looked over the last several weeks together at the heart of David and the vision of David, the friend of David, the protector of David, the desperation of David. Last week, the patience of David. This week, the inconsistency of David. So let's watch it. 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you have your Bible, the story unfolds. Then Samuel died. Samuel was the great Leader, the last judge of Israel who transitioned the nation to the kingdom and was the one to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel and then anoint David as the next. And all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about that while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel, now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. The name Nabal itself means fool. While Nabal was shearing his sheep, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So there's there's the scene set for us. We're introduced to Nabal, this man who was harsh and evil in his dealings, along with his wife Abigail, intelligent, beautiful in appearance. Both of those things, Nabal and his foolishness, Abigail and her intelligence will soon come into the story. David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. This was a celebratory kind of thing. And Nabal probably has all of his shepherds that work for him there, and he is feeding them and the like. So David sent, in verse 5, 10 young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. We'll learn a little bit later from the story that as David and his men have been on the run from Saul, at times they would have been around Nabal's shepherds with all of these sheep. And apparently David and his men somewhat befriended these guys and were kind to them and even protected them and their sheep from raiders So now, David, as we know, has been on the run from Saul time and time again, but he hears that Nabal is shearing his sheep. He hears that there's great celebration and the like. And so David thinks, We need some food, we need some supplies. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall say, Have a long life. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son. David. So David and his men are in need And they have been kind and protecting of Nabal and his shepherds And so David makes a very polite and humble And we might say expectant request That Nabal at this time of celebration would say Hey, you bet Here's some food Here's some supplies And may God bless you and bless David Verse 9 When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So, David comes politely and humbly and expectantly, and yet Nabal responds arrogantly, presumptuously, greedily. So, David's young men retraced their way and went back. And they came and told David according to all these words. Watch verse 13. David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David while 200 stayed with the baggage. Three times in verse 13. Sword, sword, sword. If you were here last week, or if you've read through 1 Samuel of any time of late... You may be thinking, and rightly so, wait, what? You remember what we celebrated last week with David? David and his men are on the run from Saul, his arch enemy. Saul is out to get him. And David and his men are holed up in a cave. And lo and behold, in the mysterious providence of God, Saul, his enemy, has to go to the bathroom. And he chooses to go into the same cave that David and his men are in. And David's men, you remember last week, began to sing, This is the day, this is the day. David, this is it. This is the day for you to, to assume the kingdom of Israel. God has brought your enemy right in. You remember David listened to his men and he went and he cut off the robe of Saul. But then his conscience pricked him immediately that he had gone too far. And in the story that unfolded, David said, listen, he is the Lord's anointed. And I am not going to pursue a place or a position if it means that I have to compromise my character. Or my integrity, I will not lay a hand upon the Lord's anointed, nor will I take my own vengeance. While being reviled, I will not revile in return. I will not utter threats in return. I will not return evil for evil. I will not seek my own revenge, but... I will entrust myself to the Lord, and the Lord will take care of me. And the Lord will avenge me upon my enemies. Well, we celebrated David last week. And we encouraged ourselves to follow in his footsteps and the footsteps of Jesus, who while being reviled, did not revile in return. He uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges Righteously. And yet, the very next chapter, gird your sword, and I'll gird mine too. And we know exactly what he was thinking. Glance down at verse 21. Now David had said Surely in vain I have guarded All that this man has in the wilderness So that nothing was missed Of all that belonged to him And he has returned me evil for good May God do so to the enemies of David And more also if by morning I leave as much as one male Of any who belong to him David is about to take His own vengeance David is about to return Evil with evil such the inconsistency of David teased this last week the best of men are what men at best the best of men a man like David a man after God's own heart the best of men are men at best A.W. Pink, a wonderful theologian, many of you have enjoyed him over the years, he said it like this, the best of men are but men at best. No matter how richly gifted they may be, how eminent in God's service, how greatly honored and used of him, let God's sustaining power be withdrawn from them for a moment and it will quickly be seen that they are earthen vessels. No man stands any longer than he is supported by divine grace. The most experienced saint, if left to himself, is immediately seen to be as weak as water and as timid as a mouse. Psalm 39:5, man at his best estate is altogether vanity. Then why should it be thought a thing incredible when we read of the failings and fallings of the most favored of God's saints and servants? Noah's drunkenness, Lot's carnality, Abraham's lies, Moses' anger, Aaron's jealousy, Joshua's haste, David's adultery, Jonah's disobedience, Peter's denial, Paul's contention with Barnabas are so many illustrations of the solemn truth that, quote, there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. Perfection is found in heaven, but nowhere on earth. Except in the perfect man, Jesus Christ. As time allows, we'll come back to that. David, a man after my own heart. One moment, a shining example of grace another moment get your swords nabal is a dead man but god verse 14 but one of the young men told abigail nabal's wife saying behold david sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master Nabal scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the time that we were with them tending the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household. And he is such a worthless man, and no one can speak to him. Nabal is a fool. And his servants know that he is a fool and they know they can't even go and talk to him. He's such a fool. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her so she met them. So David and his men are on their way and Abigail cuts them off. Now David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him and he has returned me evil for good May God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. Now the author tells us David had said that. Probably had said it to his men. But I wonder how many times had he been thinking about it on his trip to see Nabal. You ever have those conversations? Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame and please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. (laughs) The author knows that Nabal is a fool The servants know that Nabal is a fool His wife knows That Nabal is a fool Nabal is his name And folly is with him But I your maidservant Did not see the young men of my Lord Whom you sent So Abigail humbly intercedes And pleads with David Now therefore my Lord As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, watch this. Since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil will not be found in you all your days. She's pleading with him not to do this, not to let evil be found in him. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. That little phrase means that God is going to protect you. You'll be in the bundle of the living. God has great plans for you, David. I know that. God is going to protect you. But the lives of your enemies, he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, watch verse 31, This will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Abigail is pleading with David not to commit this sin, this evil. Seeking to save him, not only from the sin, but from the regret, remorse, the troubled heart that it would give him. Verse 32, then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come down quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal And behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king, and Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone, probably a stroke. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Verse 26, since the Lord has restrained you. Verse 34, nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me. Verse 39, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. In this particular instance, when the inconsistency of David's flesh overwhelms him, God restrains him, restrains him, keeps him back from this evil. Just a handful of minutes. To go, Let's, let's marvel, if we will, at this preventive providence of God, but don't presume upon Him. First of all, friends, let's live with eyes wide open to the possibilities of our flesh. One moment, David patiently waits upon God to plead his cause. The next moment, David says, get your swords. Nabal is a dead man. One moment, you and I have a faith-filled act of obedience. A temptation comes. We trust God and his word. We let the temptation come and go, and we obey the Lord. The very next moment or day, that same sort of temptation gets the best of us and rather than trust god we will believe ourselves to be in the right that our ways are best and we who one moment trusted god in another turn to ourselves the apostle john said in 1 john chapter 1 verse 8 if we say that we have no sin we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All of us need to live in that understanding with our eyes wide open that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. And just like David. We who are obedient in one instance may find ourselves disobedient in another. Change the circumstances, change the location, change whatever it might be. And we who walk this moment in the spirit find ourselves walking in the flesh the very next. Pride goes before destruction. Solomon said a haughty spirit before stumbling. Let us take heed to David and his inconsistency. Secondly, let's be diligent. For you never know when God plans to restrain you. And, in some instances, leave us in our fleshly desires. It, it'll be just a handful of chapters later in Second Samuel, when David will see her, Bathsheba. And he will lust for her and he will covet her and he will send for her and he will have her and to cover himself he will conspire to have her husband Uriah killed. Could God have prevented that? Yes. In one instance God through his preventive providence restrains his servant in another he leaves David to his own ambitions. You and I cannot presume upon this. We can't read a story like First Samuel 25 and think to ourselves, Oh goody, God will step in anytime I'm about to get myself into a mess. We cannot presume upon God in that way. We have far too many calls to you and me in the New Testament. Here are just a few Romans 8, if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. You and I are called to put to death, the old guys would say, to mortify our anger. To mortify our pride, to mortify our greed, to mortify our sloth, to mortify our lust, to put to death the deeds of our body. We are told in 1 Corinthians 6 to flee immorality. We are told in 2 Timothy chapter 2 to flee youthful lusts. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I buffet my body and make it my slave. I beat it. I buffet my body and make it my slave. Lest possibly after I preach to others, I myself would be disqualified. Paul had no sense of, hey man, just chill, because if you get yourself in trouble, God's preventive grace will come and rescue you from a mess. no put it to death, flee immorality, buffet your body. Peter would say, put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And so while we might marvel at the prevented providence of God who steps in through this little servant and through Abigail to restrain David from killing Nabal, and causing grief and a troubled heart, we cannot presume that God will do that for us. We must be vigilant and ever in the fight of faith against our sin. Finally, in those times when temptation comes, And for whatever reason you and I resist temptation and obey the Lord, give thanks to God for his preventive providence, his preserving grace. How wonderful it is that you and I have the spirit of God within us. How wonderful it is when temptation comes our way so often we resist and we obey the Lord. Wonderful. Look what David does in verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Abigail came, pled her case, and David turned and went on back and said, praise God. Dale Ralph Davis commenting on this text. The text then teaches us how Yahweh rescues his servants from their own stupidity. How he restrains them from executing their sinful purposes. How sometimes he graciously and firmly intercepts us on the road to folly. Sometimes, not all the time, so we can't presume Good night. If only God would go and let us see how many times He has kept us back. He has restrained us. It would blow our minds, would it not? How many times He has graciously and firmly intercepted us on the road to folly. He goes on, What mercy sends frustrations to our purposes. What kindness builds hindrances in our path? It is important that like David, we respond rightly to such episodes of Yahweh's restraining providence. We could hardly do better than to worship with David's own words. Blessed be Yahweh, who has held back his servant from evil. Do you find yourself inconsistent like David? Praise God that He sometimes and often, and probably much more than we know, restrains us, keeps us back from sin and the remorse and the pain. That comes from it. Just ponder. Consider your own fleshly tendencies. And think. If the Lord withdrew his hand from me. Who would I be? And what would I be about? Oh bless the Lord. Who has kept back his servant. From sin. Friends. If you're here today And you say Yep yeah, that's me I'm, I'm a sinner We here at Redeemer Community Church Want you to know that there's a great Savior Every single one of us In this room are sinners The Bible says that All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God And so if you hear of anger, you say, yeah. You hear of greed, yep. Lust, yep. Pride, yep. We believe that God has graciously acted for sinners like us. And when we couldn't save ourselves, he sent Jesus Christ to do what we couldn't do. Jesus lived a holy life never inconsistent one bit, always obedient to his Father's will. He lived a holy and perfect life for us. And then he died upon a cross to take the penalty for what we have done. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus Christ died upon that cross, he was not dying for what he had done, He was dying for what we had done. He was taking upon himself the sins of his people. And God raised him from the dead in vindication that he is who he said that he is and he has accomplished what he said he came to accomplish. And Jesus Christ is alive. He is in heaven and he is arms open wide to inconsistent sinners like you and me. And the message of the gospel, the good news, is not clean up your act, get yourself together. It is turn from yourself and cast yourself onto Jesus. Trust in him. Lean on him. Put all your chips on him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's believing in him, trusting in him. And When you do, the promise is that he forgives your sins, past, present, future. He adopts you into his family. You become his child and he loves you. He puts his very spirit into you to begin to give you new desires and a new kind of life. And he promises that nothing will ever separate you from me. Not even death. You will instantly find yourself in my presence. And in a future day, I will raise your dead body from the the grave. And transform the body of your humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. To live forever and forever in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe today would be your day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word from 1 Samuel 25. May we take heed and see in David the possibilities for ourselves. Might it lead us to be humble and vigilant watchful of sin in our lives. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to walk with you, to obey your word. Thank you that you so often prevent us from destroying our lives. Oh, if you would just show us, we couldn't believe it. Thank you. Thank you that you hold us fast. What did we sing this morning? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it to thy courts above. And Lord, may we walk in thankfulness, gratefulness for your kindness and your mercies towards us. And Father, we pray for any this morning who've never put their faith in Jesus Christ, turned from their sins and from themselves to trust in Jesus as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. Oh God, might you right now Open their heart to see Christ and to take him as Savior and Lord. And we will pray this in his strong and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.